Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church, where we are one church in multiple locations. We believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In just a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that we hope is inspiring to you and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet joined us for a live service, we encourage you to visit eclife.org for our service times and locations so you can experience Emmanuel live in person or through our online campus. Now, if this message blesses you and you'd like to give financially, we invite you to do so at eclife.org by clicking on the Giving tab and choosing Online Campus as your campus. Thank you again for joining us. We hope this message will guide you on your own spiritual journey. It is a joy to be here with you. Welcome to the Greenwood Campus. Also want to welcome our Franklin Campus, our Vanta Campus, our Online Campus. Can we give it up for all of our campuses right now? Welcome. Also wanted to make mention of something today that start, actually started today. It's, uh, another, it's something called a microsite. Now, we already have a microsite that meets at Purdue University. Uh, it's in, yeah, essentially, that's a small group of Purdue students that gather, and they watch the service live, and, and then they break up into small groups. And so it's like a small little Emmanuel campus on the Purdue campus up there. Uh, we're also launching something today at the Theodora House. Now, if you don't know what the Theodora House is, it's simply a women's addiction recovery center, and they've allowed us, they've asked us to come in and, and and, and pipe our service into them and so that they can watch it and then also break up into small groups as well. So we, can we give it up and welcome our Theodora House today watching? So exciting. And if you don't know, also, we have been invited into the Johnson County Jail. Now, what, what, uh, what's a little bit different there, we're kind of waiting on the process uh, to show our service live there. Uh, but right now, we have some impact team members, some volunteers that go into the Johnson County Jail, and they essentially reteach my talk and then break up uh, with the inmates there and discuss it. And so we're making a great impact in our Johnson County Jail system as well. And that's just the first jail system that we're going to get into, that we're into. Uh, we're looking forward to being in multiple multiple jails uh, in the future as well. So you excited to be part of a church that's making an impact like that? Anybody? Come on, guys. Such a joy and privilege to make a difference in our world. So we're in a series right now called Mind Games, and essentially what we've said in this series is that the mind is a very powerful thing. The mind has an, a tremendous impact on our life. In fact, we made the bold statement in week one that uh, the, the quality of our lives really is the byproduct of the quality of our thoughts. You know, our, we are today where our thoughts have brought us, we'll be tomorrow where our thoughts take us. The Apostle Paul said in three different spots in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, he said to set our minds on things above and not on things on earth. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he said, Whatever is true and noble and right and just and pure and lovely, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about these types of things. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said that we are transformed by the renewing of our, of our minds. And so the mind is a powerful thing when it comes to living the life that Christ has planned for us. Recently, I've been uh, looking at a gentleman called Win Hoff. He lives uh, in the Netherlands, Win Hof, that's his name. And uh, he has basically dedicated his life to show the power that the mind has on the body. Years ago, his wife committed suicide, and so he was trying to figure out meaning and purpose and, and try to heal his, his wounds on the inside. And so he decided that he was going to try to take control of his, his, his mind and his life and his body. And he did it in an interesting way. He decided he was going to try to slowly start to expose himself to freezing temperatures. Now, I don't know why any sane person would do that. Does anybody else hate cold weather? 
the fact that it was snowing here in Greenwood. I know some of you are watching out of state, different places, and some of you are on spring break in a warm place. But it was snowing here in Greenwood this morning, and, and I just I was like, oh, I hate the cold. Anyway, Wynn decided he was going to start to expose himself to cold weather in a way to heal his soul. Very weird, very strange. You can Google it later. You can YouTube it later. There's lots of videos. And so what he did was he now, he now holds 26 Guinness Book World Records when it comes to exposure to cold weather. Let me give you an example of a, of a few. He has the longest swim under ice. 57 meters or 188 feet or so from one hole in the ice to another hole in the ice in some Arctic place. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. Now, that record has since been broken by some other psycho. Anyway, (laughs) did I just say that? Um, He also has the record for the fastest half marathon in the snow and ice without shoes or socks. Two hours and 16 minutes, ran 13.1 miles. In absolutely insane. He hiked to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in nothing but shorts and boots. No shirt. He went up 8,000 feet uh, to Mount Everest with nothing but shorts on. He holds the record for the longest amount of time in direct contact with ice to his naked, to his, his, his skin. One hour and 53 minutes in a tub of ice cubes. And so he's doing all this stuff and he's setting all these records and the scientific community is rushing in to kind of figure out how is he doing this? Like this is impossible. It's not humanly, you're not, and no one is humanly, humanly capable to do such acts. And so they start to ask him questions, you know, how are you doing this? And essentially what it comes down to is in his, with his mind, with meditation and with his breathing, he can regulate his body temperature and keep it at a level where he doesn't freeze, no matter what the outside conditions are. It's absolutely fascinating. You can Google it. You can YouTube it. Some of you are already doing it. <laughs> Win Hoff is his name. So people are saying, well, you must be, you know, the only person on earth to be able to do this. So in order to prove them wrong, he now has a bunch of disciples that he's training to do similar things. And sure enough, with the power of the mind and breathing, they're able to expose themselves in the cold in the same way that he is. That's the power of the mind. It literally impacts the quality of our life. We're not the only ones who are aware of this. Like, God made us that way. We're aware of it. But guess who else is aware of it? The devil. And he knows that if if he wants to destroy our lives or ruin our lives, he's going to have to start at the level of our what? Our mind. And so he assaults us with lies. Lies about ourselves. Lies about the world. Lies about God. And that's what he does. He inundates us with lies. And his goal is to cut us off from the life that God has planned for us. How does he do it? He builds these things called strongholds. A stronghold is essentially an internal prison that locks us into things like fear or anger or lust or materialism or hatred or racism. Our world has been rocked in the last couple of days as we've watched the events unfold in New Zealand. One lone gunman shoots and kills 49 people, leaves 48 wounded. I didn't do too much digging into the story. It's just just, horrifying. But the little I did do, I found out that, and you probably have as well, that this person who shot all these people in New Zealand, he's got an ideology. He's got some thoughts. In fact, he left a 74-page manifesto talking about you know, right-wing, you know, Nazi ideas or white supremacy and racism and immigration and all these crazy ideas. Well, guess what? Those ideas came from somewhere. 
And it trapped him in a stronghold and led to this heinous, horrible, horrific act of murder. See, this is, this is real stuff. When I, when I talk about the enemy dropping lies and, 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 and ideas into our mind, those ideas have a result. And so what we have to do is, is, is take every thought captive, and those are our weapons. Our weapons are not, you know, knives and guns and bombs and things like that. Our weapons are spiritual weapons, and it's the truth of God's word, and we take those thoughts captive, and we wrestle them to the ground, and we replace them with the truth of God's word. And that is how we tear down the strongholds of the enemy, and that's what this series is all about. Taking the ideas that Satan is putting into our minds and tearing them down and replacing them with the truth of God's word. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you remain in my teachings, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So today, the the lie I want to look at, it's not going to sound horrific. It's not going to sound satanic. It's not going to sound dark, but it is. And here it is. Ready? It's supposed to be easy. Satan will whisper this to us, but mostly through our culture, in the American culture here, it's supposed to be easy. You turn the television on, what are we sold? We're sold the idea that life is supposed to be easy. Go on this sandals vacation. Don't you hate it when those commercials come on? Everybody's tan and skinny and warm and on a beach and on a water slide. And we're here. You know, but you want life, you know, just pay this amount of money. Take this pill. You know, it'll make your, you know, you know, your diseases go away or whatever, you know. You turn the television on, it's just commercial after commercial after, selling us what? Selling us the easy life. Buy this car, go to this place, take this pill, buy this product. Americans, we, we love the easy life. We long, we're told it's supposed, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm supposed to be happy. Where's the, where's easy street? Where is it at? <laughs> it's actually on the map, but anyway, there's nothing easy about it. Here's, here's the rude truth, the hard truth. There is nothing easy about this life. Anything worth having does not come easy. Have you ever noticed how things just simply don't work out? Anybody else? Yes, no? I mean, I'm not a pessimist at all. I'm a realist. Things just don't work out. The other day, we replaced our fridge. Our fridge was going out. It was making this weird knocking sound, so we bought another fridge. It's in the garage. Wednesday night, small group, a lot of high school students at the house. So I'm like, I got some help. So we get this new fridge, drag it into the house. It's very difficult, very heavy. Two refrigerators in, there, in the kitchen. My wife starts to unload the food out of the one, and you got to do this process quick so you don't lose the food, right? So we're there. She's pulling it out. We've measured width, and we've measured depth. What did we forget to measure? Yes, we forgot to measure the height. Did I mention things never work out? Things are rarely easy. Now, some of you are not surprised by that because I'm not a handyman and, I, you know, I don't do stuff like that. So you're like, yeah, of course it doesn't work out for you because you don't know what you're doing. I understand. I understand. Valid point. We forget to measure the height. I'm like, okay, we've got this new fridge. We've got to return it. we get our money back. Whatever. My wife's like, not so fast. It's like, what do you mean? She says, we're going to knock out that cabinet. Wednesday night, you know, I want to relax, long day of work, teenagers in the basement, lots of noise, two fridges in the kitchen. I mean, this is not going well. (laughs) So I look at her and I say, no, we're not doing that. I'm going to pull executive husband power here, you know, (laughs) executive decision. Well, how how does that work out for you guys? (laughs) She says, no, 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 it's easy. It's easy. Look, look at this YouTube video. She shows me how to remove a cabinet. I'm like, you're joking. We're, this is not going down tonight, you know. But a wife has a way of wearing you out. <laughs> so slowly I start to get worn down and, and I go and get her drill. 
not kidding. I do not own a drill. It belongs to her. I go get her drill. She got it for Christmas. Um, and she's like, oh, it's so easy. We're going to take out these four screws. Cabinet comes right off just like in the video. I'm like, 25 bucks. I'm not a betting person, but I bet my wife. $25, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because it's never easy. It never works that way. It's not like the video. Something's going to go wrong. So like 25 bucks, she takes my bet. Like, all right, let's, go, let's do this. Get on the chairs. You know, all that stuff. Doesn't budge. It's exactly like I thought it would go. Somehow there's like this, this cabinet is, 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 is just stuck to the wall. I don't know how. It's cemented. I don't know what they did. But it, it's never easy. So, but she didn't want to give up. It's like, okay, I'm just wasting your time. You know, she gets, the, she gets the screwdriver out, another one of her tools. And she starts to jimmy it against the wall to kind of like, like it's going to come off. It's not coming off. Well, sure enough, somehow, someway, it's wedged between these two other cabinets and dried paint and all that stuff. And I'm shoving on it. I'm thinking, there's no way it's coming out. Finally, she gives it one more shove and I give one more pull and the thing goes, and it falls. And we switch the refrigerators and I guess it's fine. But here, but here, even though it kind of worked, listen, we still have two refrigerators in our house. One's in the dining room. The cabinet's on the living room floor. It didn't really work out. And it certainly wasn't easy. And my wife really does still owe me 25 bucks. My point, my point, long story short, things rarely go the way you thought they would go. They're just not that easy. It's always difficult. It's always difficult. I love what Zig Ziglar said. Fortunately, problems are an everyday part of our life. Fortunately, consider this. If there were no problems, most of us would be unemployed. <laughs> I know I would be unemployed. Y'all screw your lives up and I try to help you. That's how it works at church. <laughs> I'm sort of kidding, okay? Here's the thing. When we think about our problems through the lens of, it's not supposed to be this way. It's supposed to, why is it so hard? It's supposed to work out. I thought marriage would be easier. I thought parenting would be easier. I thought, you know, you know losing the weight would be, I thought overcoming the, the addiction would be easier. I thought, you know, getting, getting you know, I thought it would just be easy. It's, and it's not. When we fall into that trap, the end result is that we, we, we live disgruntled, angry, unhappy, groaning and, moaning, groaning and moaning lifestyles. We're like the children of Israel. They get delivered up out of Egypt, 400 years of slavery. God says, we're going to take you into the promised land. Twelve spies come back from scoping out the promised land. Two of them say, let's go up. Ten of them say, no way. That place is filled with giants and fortified cities and walls. It's going to be too hard. And they start to moan. Listen to what they say in Numbers 14 to Moses and Aaron. And all the Israelites grumbled. They complained. They moaned. And this is what they said. If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Take us back to, we want to go back to slavery. Why? Because it's too hard to go into the promised land. There's big people there. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're going to die. They started to, and and this this is the state of most people in our culture today. Whether you're of faith, you don't have faith, grumbling about something, constantly moaning and groaning. Why? Because we've been sold, a good, you know, this idea. It's, somehow it's supposed to work out. Somehow it's supposed to be easy. I fall into this trap. And when I do, I try to remember that my Savior, the one who died on the cross, the one who rose again three days later to redeem mankind from sin and death, 
he had some serious problems. Jesus had problems. He's preaching in John chapter 6. He was doing a great job. He starts talking about some difficult things. Some people start to scatter. John chapter 7, listen to what happens, verse 1. About after this, after Jesus was preaching in John chapter 6, he went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea. Why? Because there were some major problems there. <laughs> the Jewish leaders were on a mission to do what? To kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a problem like that. <laughs> I mean, I had some problems, and maybe you've had this problem where people were trying to kill you. Most of us probably haven't. Jesus had some major problems. People were trying to kill him. Eventually, they did. Our Savior, our Messiah, would say things like this. Hey, if they persecuted me, the student is not above his teacher. They will persecute you. John chapter 16, verse 33 said, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, if you follow me, it's not going to be a problem-free life. It's not going to be easy for you. In fact, I, pr I can promise you it's going to be difficult. You say, oh, well, that's Jesus. You know, he could handle his problems and stress. He was the son of God. He was divine. He could walk on water. What, what about his early followers? What about, what about the, the early disciples, the people that, 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 you know, originally were the first ones to, to kind of take up the mantle? Let's look at Paul. Paul had serious problems. I mean, this dude... <laughs> Man, you talk about having issues and troubles and difficulties and persecutions. Right from the start, Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus says to Ananias, go talk to Paul. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. That's like out of the gate kind of stuff. Like the gospel back then wasn't, hey, put your faith in Jesus and he'll make your life better. It was trust in Jesus and you're going to have persecution and you're going to suffer. And sure enough, Paul did from day one. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes through this huge list of all the things that he went through, all the problems. He says, listen, from day one, I was, I was thrown in prison. I, I, was, I was beaten five times, each time with 39 whips of the cord. I was shipwrecked three times. I was beaten over the head with rods at three, on three different occasions. He says, I was pelted with stones to the point where they thought I was dead. I, was sleep I went through sleepless nights. Sometimes I didn't have enough clothes to keep me warm. Sometimes I didn't have enough food to eat. I was adrift at the sea day for a day on end, he says, on, on, on top of all these problems, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read it. I was constantly burdened with the care of all the churches that he helped to launch. His idea, his philosophy was, if you are going to follow Jesus, there is going to be suffering and there is going to be pain. And he wrote so much to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, Everyone who wants to be a disciple, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to follow Jesus will, not might, not maybe, they will suffer persecution. See, for, for Paul, following Jesus and suffering were completely synonymous. They went together. The gospel wasn't, hey, put your faith in Jesus and your life will get better. In fact, that gospel disappoints so many people. They come to church and they think, well, I'll just give my life over to God and then he'll get, help me get my problems fixed. And, and then when it doesn't work, they leave church. And they say to me, and when I ask them in the community, hey, where have you been? Well, the whole faith thing is not working out for me. Oh, you thought, you thought it was going to be easy. You thought moving into the promised land, you thought moving into eternal life, you thought moving into abundant life, you thought living this life that Jesus has called you to live, you thought it was going to be easy. Yeah, I thought if you gave your life to God, like he makes your problems go away and makes your life better. Well, he does. <laughs> it does. But not in the way you would think. This same guy, Paul, prison, beat up, 
you know, got stoned, you know, all that stuff. From a prison cell, pen these words, Philippians chapter 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Always rejoice. How could he say that? I mean, this is a guy who's in prison. He's been beaten, persecuted. How could he write always in the midst of problems, in the midst of being incarcerated for trying to advance the kingdom of God? How can you give such an instruction? How can you be joyful yourself? What is his secret? You know what his secret was? You know what it was? It was the way that he thought about his problems. It was his thinking process and how he processed the troubles and the trials and the persecutions in his life. See, as long as we keep thinking that, man, it's going to be easy, you know, it, it's, going to, it's going to be smooth. Like, as long as our process, our, our thought about life is that, you know, it, it's, at some point things are going to get easier. We will continue to be disappointed and be plunged into disappointment and, and being upset and being frustrated and being angry and maybe even getting depressed. And that depression, if we, don't, if we don't fix it, if we don't get a grip of that depression, it could slip down even darker and deeper into the thoughts of suicide. Why? Because after all, nothing ever works out. Like my expectations are always met. Like I thought it would go there. I thought I'd get the job. I didn't get the job. I thought I'd get the raise. I didn't get the raise. I thought, I, I thought this person was the person I was supposed to marry. Turns out it wasn't. And there's constant disappointment until you just get to the point where it's like, well, what, what's the point at all? And so many people choose that route. How can you and I be joyful in the Lord always, even in the midst of difficulty? Well, it's, 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 our, it's our mind. It's leveraging the power of our mind. How are we thinking about our troubles? I'm going to offer you two thoughts today, two biblical ideas on how to process your problems, how to think about your problems that will produce a different emotion. We're going to look at a thought from, and this is important to understand where the thoughts come from, a thought from the brother of Jesus. His name was James. He wrote a book in the Bible called James. And we're going to look at a thought from a guy named Peter, who was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, and he wrote a book called First and Second Peter. Um, and so we're going to look at those two thoughts, and these two thoughts, we're going to put them together, and they're going to help us to process our problems in such a way that they don't create a grumbling, disappointed, angry type of emotional condition, but rather a joyful, peaceful condition of soul, even though our problems are still present. So here's the first one. This, we're going to look at the brother of Jesus. His name is James. Like I said, he's going, to, he's going to show us that problems are there to grow our character. Problems are there to grow our character. Let's look together at James chapter 1 and what he had to say. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, problems, difficulties come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now that's opposite of what we normally think, right? Problems come our way. It's not an opportunity for joy. It's an opportunity to complain. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe we're two inches off. Who missed this measurement? Whose fault is it? It's not mine. <laughs> Probably my wife, right? Blame somebody else. Problem complaining, you know, blame shifting. Problems are not opportunities for joy. James, James, the brother of Jesus, says they are. Well, why, James? Why would troubles be an opportunity for joy? For you know, you have understanding, you have a knowledge that when your faith is tested, that's what's happening when we have trouble. When our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. What is endurance? Endurance is simply the ability to keep going when it gets hard, when you're tempted, when you're down, when you're discouraged. You are, you're able to keep on pushing forward. 
So let it grow. Let what grow? Let your endurance grow until it's fully developed, until that baby is nine months, until it's got to come out of the oven, right? The biscuits are done. You got to take them out because if you don't take them out, they're going to burn, right? That's what it means. Get that baby out of there. Why? Because it's gone full term. It's fully developed. You know, it's perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. Perfect. Same word Jesus used. James, the brother of Jesus, was at the Sermon on the Mount. He heard Jesus say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You remember week number one of the series? Telios. Fully mature. How do we get there? How do we become fully mature people, complete needing nothing in our character? James says, it's for trouble. We grow through trouble. A couple years ago, I read a book called Integrity. Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian psychologist or a psychologist who happens to be a Christian, and he's got several really good books. And normally when we think about integrity, we think about it in this vein, that it's a person who tells the truth and is honest. Cloud says that it gives a a little bit of a, a, a different understanding of integrity. He says that essentially it's the ability to meet the demands of reality. And he gives this illustration about... Uh, a general in, in, the, in the Air Force, and he says, you know, if, if, if a general in the Air Force goes to Boeing, who creates planes, and he says, you know, I want a plane. I want you to make us a plane. The first question, the first question that, the general, the, that Boeing would ask is, well, what do you want to do with the plane? That's an important question. Do you want to, like, die, you know, want the plane to dive down and, and maneuver and shoot at other planes and, 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 you know, be a fighter jet? Or do you want it to be a cargo plane and just try, you know, go straight and high, you know, altitudes and just take cargo across the, you know, one place to another? The answer to the question is vital because it it shows Boeing what type of metal to use in the plane. Listen to what he says here. In if the flight patterns are going to have incredible demands on maneuverability with high speeds, the, quote, integrity of the material has to be of, of a certain kind so as to not come apart with those tricky moves. As a pastor, I see people come apart all the time. Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, they leave their spouses, they leave their jobs, they turn to alcohol because of the tricky moves. The company downsizes, the spouse cheats, the child rebels, someone gets cancer. Life is filled with these tricky things that happen. And it puts tension on our character. And if our character is, it doesn't have, if it doesn't have the right metal, if it's not strong enough, it cannot withstand the pressure of all the tricky moves and, and, and we come apart. Integrity or character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. You have to be put together well on the inside to handle the pressures on the outside. What do you want to do with the plane is the question. Now, problems don't automatically produce strength of metal on the inside. But if we had this mindset, if, if, we, if we could look at our problems this way and from the beginning, before they even happen, say, this is happening to make my character stronger. Well, then we'll work with the problem differently. We'll understand that God is doing something. He's trying to build courage in me. He's trying to create patience in me. He's trying to create the type of, uh, of character that's able to forgive those who insult me or betray me or wound me. That's all character stuff. 
And then when life gets tricky, guess what? You have the ability to meet the demands of reality and treat people the way Jesus treated people. To love your neighbor as yourself and to love your enemies. And to do good to those who hurt you. To bless those who curse you and such. Problems. They are the the environment where character grows. Well, that would change how how you and I would go through our troubles. Do you agree? That would change how we feel about our problems. We might actually see them as an opportunity for joy instead of grumbling and complaining. So they're there to grow our character. They're also there to grow our faith. Peter says, hey, problems are there to grow your faith, man. He's writing this letter to Christians at a time where Christians were being heavily persecuted in, in the early when the church was getting up off the ground. Listen to what Peter says to the early Christians in 1 Peter. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure, say it with me, many trials for a little while. (laughs) That's how life goes. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have many difficulties for a little while. Listen to what he says. He continues. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested, similar to what James said. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. What is he saying here? He's saying, well, essentially... What you would do with gold is to find out if it's 24 karat, 18 karat, 14 karat, 10 karat, whatever. You melt it down to, 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 to see what type of gold it is, the quality of the gold. And all of the dross and impurities rise up. And Peter says problems are like that. Like difficulties come in your life and it's a melting down process. It reveals the quality of your, carry, of your faith. If you want to know how strong your faith is, just look at how you respond to troubles and trials and difficulties. If you're freaking out, if, you're stre- if you stress out, if you give in to fear, well, then you know your faith is, is weak. But if you're able to stand strong, if you're able to maintain peace, if you're ma- able to be calm, then you know your faith is pretty strong in the midst of difficulties. But tr- troubles don't just reveal the quality of our faith. It also does something else. It purifies them. See, the melting down process has, lets all the impurities of the gold rise to the surface, and then they, you take them off, and the gold becomes even more pure. Peter says, and your faith is much more precious. It's much more precious than mere gold. So what is God doing? Here's what he does. He allows troubles and trials to come into our life to build our faith, to strengthen our faith, to purify our faith. In fact, problems are actually Food for faith. Problems or trials or troubles, they're actually opportunities for your faith to grow. Why? Because they're opportunities for you to trust God. Listen to what Peter says. So when your faith remains strong (laughs) through many trials, how's how's my faith going to remain strong? How's it going to get strong? He said, I don't have a very strong faith. How did it get there? Through many trials. The trials reveal the quality of my faith. They also strengthen my faith. See, if you go through something difficult, like a breakup or a divorce or someone cheats or someone you know, betrays you, whatever, lose, lost a job, financial pressure, difficulties in parenting, someone dies, someone gets sick, something happens, that is an opportunity for you to say, it's, it's such a crossroads, that is an opportunity for you to crumble and give in to fear, anger, resentment, doubt, or to say, God, this is terrible. This isn't the what I thought would happen. But I am choosing to trust in you. 
And every single time we do that, it's like going to the gym. You guys will relate to this. Some of you ladies will relate to this too because you, you do the weights as well. Like if you want to strengthen your bicep, you got to go to the gym and you got to stress it and you got to stress it and you got to stress and then you got to take a break and then you got to stress it again and work those biceps and then you got to let it take a break and then do it again. And every time you do that, you're, you're breaking the muscle down. You're putting the muscle in a situation where the muscle say, no, we don't want to be here. This hurts. This burns. But then what happens is the muscle rebuilds after you stress it and put it under pressure and, and, and stretch that muscle, and the muscle comes back stronger. That is the process of growing your faith. There's no other way. God says, here's what's going to happen. The trials, the troubles, it's like taking your faith to the gym. <laughs> the problem is we don't like to go to the gym, do we? <laughs> Most of us are like, no problems. We don't want difficulties. What if you said, no, I want to go to the gym. I want, to, I want a stronger faith. It, would, it might change your attitude towards your difficulties. You just might have some joy in the midst of difficulty. You might just be able to sing a song in a jail cell like the Apostle Paul did. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, when your faith remains strong through many difficulties and trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. What an interesting concept. You've probably heard me say, you've probably heard a song like I can only imagine a couple years ago, that when Jesus Christ is revealed or when we see him, some of, us, some of us will die before Christ comes back. We all might be alive when he comes back. He might come back today. But either way, whether we die or whether we don't die, we're going to see Jesus. And when we see him, we've been taught, and this is true, we're, we're going to give him praise and glory and honor. Like we will fall down and we will worship and we will say to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Lion of Judah and the Prince of Peace and the, the Lamb of God and the Bread of Life and the Living Water. We will give him glory and honor and praise. Am I right? Yes or no? Like he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's eternal salvation, right? Like he's it. Like without him, we have nothing. So when we see him, we will praise him. We will give him glory. We will give him honor. We will worship him with everything inside of us. We will fall down. We will cry. We will stand. We will lift our hands. We'll sing. All that's exactly true. I can only imagine what I'll do that day, right? As the song goes. But Peter says something different. Peter says, that's probably all true, but... On the day that Jesus Christ is revealed to the world, he will give you. What? I've not heard that. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying Jesus is going to turn to me on that day and he's going to give me praise? And he's going to give me glory? And he's going to give me honor? Like he's God. I'm not God. Like why, why would he do that? Because he saw my faith and your faith Remain strong through many trials. And he's going to give you praise, glory, and honor. Now, I just got a question for you. What would that do to a person? God shows up. And because your faith remains strong through many trials, he turns to you and he calls out your name and he praises you. And gives you glory and honor. He says, well done. I'm so proud of you. You're unbelievable. You're everything that I created you to be. What would happen to a soul that heard those words from its creator? 
I could be wrong, but here's what I think. It will be the utter and complete healing of your soul. Because isn't this what we've always longed for from our parents? My, mom, dad, am I good enough? From our coaches, teachers? Like, do I have significance? Do I have value? Like, am I enough? It's the question of our souls. It's the question of my soul. And then to one day hear the person who created me say and give me praise and glory and honor, it, it could only be the, the complete and utter healing of, of my soul. All the thirst quenched, all the desires satisfied. This is how important our faith is, that Jesus would give us praise and glory and honor for it. Now that is a completely different way to think about trouble. <laughs> Isn't it? it? If you thought about trouble that way, it's going to grow my character and it's going to grow my faith. Isn't it possible that you could now see your problems and your troubles as positive things? Yes or no? Yes or no? Not because you like pain. I'm not talking about that. I'm not asking you to like pain. Say, oh, send some troubles. Send some problems. I like pain. No, no, no. It's not that. That's twisted. Dark. <laughs> It's because you know what God is doing. He's building your character, your, the ability to meet the demands of reality, and he's building your faith, which will one day result in him praising you, giving you glory, and giving you honor. And that would take away the grumbling and the moaning and the groaning and the disappointment. What, you, yes or no? It was a marathoner named Haruki Murakami, who said this, pain is inevitable. We're all going to have it. No one gets this life without it. Suffering is optional. Well, how do you know if you're, you know, how do you, de how do you decide if you're going to suffer? I mean, everybody's going to have pain, but it's your thought process. How are you thinking about your problems how will you choose to think about your problems? Given what I showed you today from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and 1 Peter, how will you think? Will you think biblically about your problems so that you can have a different, different emotional, emotional response to them? That is, I love it, I love it, ready? That is your choice. To be human is to choose. God made us with free will. We get to decide what to think about and how we think about things in this life. We need to tear down the strongholds that the enemy puts on our minds with the truth of God's word. And now you're equipped to do that. You've got to go out and do it. Now, some of you are here today, and you're thinking, man, I, if Jesus Christ returned today, I don't think he'd have anything to praise because I don't have any faith. I'm not even in the family of God. I'm not even a Christian. Guess what? You're invited in. <laughs> you are invited in. Jesus says, whoever wants to come, whoever wants to follow can come in. You have to trust in Jesus. One time, Paul said this. He said, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get into the family of God? How do you become a child of God? You put your faith in Jesus. I don't have much faith doesn't take much. One time Jesus said this, it's the faith as, as small as a mustard seed. It's the tiniest seed. You don't need much. A little five-year-old could do it. What do you have to believe? What do you have to put your faith in? Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again three days later to wash away all your sin, to remove all the guilt, all the shame. 
put your trust in Jesus. You're not joining a religion. You're not even joining a church. You're beginning a relationship with God. You are becoming his child and he is becoming your heavenly father. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith. Take it, it's not the words, it's the faith behind the words. Say them to God right now, watching online, all of our campuses, wherever you are. Put your trust in Christ today, become his child. Say these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And you rose again three days later to wash away all my guilt, all my shame, to cleanse my heart, to wash my soul. I trust you today. Fill my heart with your spirit. Make me a brand new person. I receive your love, your mercy, and your grace from this day forward. Fill my mind with your truth because it's your truth that will set me free. It's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, our church love would love to rejoice with you, wouldn't we, guys? Nice and loud. Amen. Amen. If you trusted Christ today, I would love to put a gift in your hands. It's a copy of the New Testament. They're at the back of each auditorium, whatever campus that you're at. If you trusted Christ today on our online campus, uh, there's a little place there you can check that says, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. Here's why we do this. We do this to get God's word in your hand for you to begin reading it. We truly are transformed by the renewing of our minds. One more time, guys, can we give God glory, amen? Come on, nice and loud. Amen, God's doing a powerful thing in our current community, in our world. Will you pray with me and we'll wrap up. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words today. From the book of James, from the book of Peter, help us to absorb them. Help us to take these words about how troubles grow our character and troubles, problems grow our faith. Allow them to work over Allow us to work those words into our heart, into our lives, so that we can see our troubles differently and have joy in the midst of them. We love you. Thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week is week number four. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to wrap this series up. Mind games. God bless you. Bring a friend. <laughs>